Right, hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Big Football Podcast. At Hoston, as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. Calm. Evening. And a special guest, a very good friend of mine, uh, Rob Rudge. How are you, Rob? Not too bad, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. No worries, you're welcome, mate. Um, we're going to shift away a little bit from the, the yellow and black sensation on Sky Sports News at the moment. Uh, Ali McCoist is suddenly the the, the favourite of soccer um, soccer sat there and uh, yeah. Been... When did when did Ali McCoist become a Sky pundit? When did that happen? I must have missed it. I, I'm not too sure, but I'm, I'm glad he has because he talks a lot of sense. Um, he, he, he certainly more sense, makes more sense than Jimmy Redknapp to be fair, but that's not <laughs> that's not very difficult. Um, We'll come back to the transfer deadline in a bit, but um, uh, the reason that we, we've got Rob on is we wanted to get um, some insight into to Wolves this season. Uh, another uh, another bad result at the, the weekend, Rob, but um, the, like, how is it that you support Wolves? It's, it's a real funny connection. It goes back to um, being in year three um, and wanting a day, or oh, sorry, an afternoon off from doing my homework. So, um, one of my dad's friends, because uh, dad's a, a Wolves fan, he uh, offered me a, a spare ticket and I, and I went up. Um, and it wasn't really till a little bit later on, I was a goalkeeper and I, I was a big fan of Peter Schmeichel. So I was a bit of a United fan up until the age of about 9, 10. And then when United sold him, uh, I, I think my association with United ended. So I, I went to Wolves um, and haven't looked back since. And you chose Wolves support Manchester United. I can always get behind that. Um, yeah, it hasn't gone down well with a lot of my. Fr- well, it hasn't gone down well with a lot of my friends, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, so, what what era are we talking, Rob? When you when you first went and watched them, is that is that as far back as Bully, or is it a bit after Bully? Oh, it was it was just towards the end of Bully's reign. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he's when he was just when we were just rolling him out, I think <laughs> <laughs> just to, just just for hope. Um, it was in the era where um, we went through a few managers, and uh, yeah, it was just it was a Sunday. It used to be Sunday games up to watch yeah. Norwich, uh, Wolves Norwich. So that was the that was the link. So my ex head of year was a Norwich fan as well. So me, um, him, uh, and my dad would go, uh, and it was it was a great Sunday afternoon. But then obviously, come back late next morning in the school, no homework done. Teacher wasn't impressed. So it was all good fun. <laughs> And like like me, Rob, you're a, a member of the goalkeepers' union. That's uh, it. Um, so, if we kind of move forward quite a few years from the the days of Steve Bull um, to today, what what exactly is misfiring at Wolves at the moment? I mean, I, I always look at the fixture list and go, "Oh no, we're playing Wolves this week because difficult to score against." often get good value for the goals that they do score. So what would would you say is the, the leading reason this season? Is it the injury to Jimenez? Is it a perfect storm caused by COVID? No fans in the ground. This is something that I associate some of Liverpool's struggles with. Is there any particular reason that you've got in mind? It's a, re- you know, it's a real good point. Some points there. I think all of what you said, Dan, really... Are the problems that are going on at Molyneux at the moment? I presume, I got a feeling as well. There's some discontent behind the scenes. Uh, I think the injuries uh, midway through this first part of the season has hasn't helped. You know, we've we lost Bolly for for a significant period of time, um, and, and and I'd argue he's probably at one of our better centre halves. Uh, probably a, a, a natural centre half because I know we've got Connor Cody who sits next to him. Um, but Connor Cody's more of a you know creative or defensive midfielder has been converted into that centre half role, and he's not really a centre half that plays in the f- back four well. Um, so I think that's been a problem. I think Nuno's ha- been forced to change his style of play. So we have had using well last couple of seasons we've been playing three at the back. We've now gone to four at the back. Um, and I think that's not helped as well because I don't think the players have adapted. I don't think we've got the necessary players to play four at the back. Um, and another thing, I think what we saw on the weekend as well, uh, against, oh, sorry, last week against Chelsea, um, when we just allowed them to come on, you know, we, I think we sat too deep at times. You know, we are a tend to be a, a side that does sit deep, but at the moment we're sitting too deep. And I think we, you know, we're just setting up to be defensive and not attacking. Um, I also uh, I didn't think this at the start of the season, 
and again, it's, I think it's a mix with the Wolves fans. I think Diego Yotta's um, loss to Liverpool it is a loss. Um, I didn't think so at the time, but now more and more, when Jimenez wasn't scoring goals, Jota would score. Um, so I think that's as well. And I also think um, Matt Doherty was an, is another big loss. He played, he fitted into that system so well. Um, I know Nelson Semedo, again, he's another one. We spent big bucks on him. He's caused a bit of controversy. I think, well, not controversy, but some Wolves fans have slated him. But I think in recent weeks, he's been one of our most consistent performers on the right and as well on the left. So I think it's a combination of everything, uh, Dan, to be honest. You know, and I think goal scoring has been a huge issue. Four goal, you know, we haven't, it's only been four goals from Jimenez this season. I know he's been injured now. And our next top scorer is, is Neto with four. So that, that tells you everything you need to know, really. Um, we're struggling at the back. I think we've lost a bit of creativity in the midfield. And up front, we've got nothing at the moment. Uh, uh, a couple of couple of things I want to pick up on there because I I had them kind of in mind. Um, with with Yotta, um, the, the attempt to replace him was made by uh, Fabio Silva, who is a young player of some promise, but he's not, he's not started his career with Wolves too too brightly. And the, the other thing you mentioned is Connor Cody. We've actually talked on this podcast before. Um, he's simply not having as good a season as he has done in the past I think it's very noticeable yeah I just think when he sits in a back three um, he's far more comfortable because of his positioning you know he's the best in, that, in, in the centre of that back three and his distribution is fantastic when you put him into the four uh, to a back four and he's on the left side or the right side you know the, the angles for him to pass is, is shortened um, I think he'd, sometimes he loses concentration it's something I think what Gareth Southgate said um, a while back before the, he called him into the England side. You know, he said he'd struggle him to have him into a, in a back four. Um, and I think this year, I think not having Bo- Bali next to him has caused big issues. I think having Max Kilman, I, th- I really like Max Kilman. He's a lot to like about him, youngster. Um, I think he's also um, had to marshal him a little bit. So I think Cody's you know, struggling. I think his confidence is gone as well um, and I think that stems from the man who's in goal for us Rui Patricio who again is having quite an average season and, you know a guy in the last couple of years, seasons he's been with us you know he's always exuberated confidence but he looks bang average at the moment he doesn't it's like having Wayne Hennessy in goal you know a good oh, shot stopper um, but you know the confidence of commanding that area around him is is, is not there at the moment so I think the back the back defence are not confident. Yeah, so I think that's part of the problem, really, as well. It's an interesting point, definitely, on Cody, because we have touched on it. And I think the point about him maybe being less comfortable in a, in a back four is, is a good one. Um, the, to, to a certain extent, and having played it, obviously, at a much, 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 much lower level, but uh, to, to be the spare man in the middle of a back three is positionally a relatively easy position to play in terms of it's hard to get yourself in the wrong position is what I'm trying to say playing in that middle of the back three your your reads as to where you go where you cover the gaps that you're responsible for are relatively simple to understand playing in a back four um, as a right-sided or left-sided centre-half and that relationship with your fullback, the relationship with the protection in front of midfield, when do you come out and have to squeeze the ball and engage a player running at you and when do you sort of retreat towards your own goal and try and buy time? I think I think it is a more complicated position to play um, and it is interesting because obviously you're right what you say, Rob. He, he's a converted midfield player, really, originally. Um, whether that has just been exposed a little bit playing in a in a, a system where it it puts more mental strain on your centre halves playing in a in a two rather than in a in a three for definite. Yeah, yeah, and I also believe I don't think much has been made of it this year. Um, you know, we lost Johnny quite you know into an injury early on. Yeah, um, and I think he has been he is so pivotal to us. And now again, some Wolves fans who might listen to this might you know slate me for it, 
But I generally think our left side at the moment isn't as strong as it has been. And I think that's because Johnny's not there because he obviously um, offers a lot um, overlapping. And I think that's the same problem with um, Semedo at the moment and uh, Adama or Neto or Podence. They don't mm. seem to overrun each, overlap each other and overrun. Um, so that's also another issue and, and lacks the creativity as well. Um I think and missing Johnny, missing Johnny, and losing Doherty to Spurs in the summer. Obviously, they they pretty much played week in week out, didn't they? As the as the wing backs in the in the three man defensive system. Yeah, and I think you know, I think whether we got lucky for the last couple of seasons with them, where they're not being injured too much. Uh, I think that's another bonus. Um, so yeah, I think I think that they, they they're, they're all you know crucial play or key players in in that system that Nuno had. Um, well, it was just, it's interesting, um, as, cause we, we were speaking a few weeks ago, um, or a couple of weeks ago about what was happening at Wolves and we had a, we had a good discussion on it and we, we, I think the summary was none, none of us knew, uh, Rob, which is why we've got you on. So I think you've highlighted a lot, a lot of things in there. I think the only, the only other angle to this that we'd sort of discussed, which I think would be good to get your take on is, is more from a, you know, sort of taking it sort of a bit of a broader level of, you know, it, has it got to a point where, you know, do do things, do you think there's maybe a feeling amongst the the, the, the players or the coaches that have things just got a bit a bit stagnant, as they, is there a bit of complacency, if people got a bit too comfortable? Um, you know, what, what are your sort of thoughts on that angle that might be a reason why maybe the, you know, in addition to the things, you know, you've been talking about um, that might be having an effect on, on your season? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there was a, those are reasonable points as well because I think we have become, uh, you know, we've got too familiar with the system. And I think sides have worked us out because um, mm. I think, you know, we played a 3 4 3 or a 5 2 3, whatever variant you want to call of that. And I think, you know, we were stuck to that and sides have worked us out. You know, you watch Crystal Palace, they, they managed to match us in, in, in a system and basically outplayed us on the weekend. Chelsea really for all their possession under Tuchel they did the same you know it was a very dull game we set up and we went back to basics we went to our 5-2-3 or 3-4-3 and contained and we and I think sides have just worked out right if we we match them uh, and if we if we have high enough possession and pressure Wolves high enough up the field we're going to they're going to crumble and suss them out Chelsea couldn't break the deadlock Palace did um, so I think, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, I think sides have worked us out. Um, and I think, you know, I think Nuno, I, I love Nuno. I think he's been brilliant for us. I don't want him to go um, because I think of all, everything he's done for us. But it comes to that point where you get to a certain level. Has he reached his level? Again, I was reading on mm. Twitter, uh, listening to some of the fan casts, looking at some of the what people have written, ha- has he reached his limit? I don't think he personally has because he took us so far in the Europa League last year, you know, and where he's got us, you know, two seven place finishes. So that you know he hasn't finished the job. Um, I do also think what was discussed earlier about possibly fans not being there, then that's had a huge impact because I think some of those players live off the fans. Uh, and when Molyneux's rocking, it's a pretty intimidating place to come, as are most stadiums when you've got your home fans. Um, but yeah, I do generally think sides have started to work us out. And we haven't got the players in the squad who can fit into a different system, really. I think it's a good point on Nuno. And, um, you know, is this so? This would be the third year in the Premier League, obviously, had a year in the Championship. I mean, four years. <laughs> is a lifetime for a manager to be at any one club these days in, in the in the football world we live in. Uh, four years is a really good long stint. And uh, and obviously, if they continue to struggle this season, it'll be interesting to see at the end of the campaign whether there's a natural sort of parting of ways. Um, I, I wonder a little bit as well if, if sort of Nuno getting linked with one or two bigger jobs as has had a bit of an unsettling influence maybe behind the scenes. I know, uh, obviously, the super agent um, who, who was involved in bringing Nuno in originally is 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 still wearing these sort of two hats of having the involvement with Wolves, but also the involvement with Nuno, and whether there's some sense of him maybe trying to 
trying to engineer a situation where Nuno got one of those sort of bigger jobs he was linked with at, at different times. I don't know. Um, it is a surprise because I, I thought Wolves were were one of those teams who were, were relatively reliable in terms of you knew what you got. And yes, they have lost you know, some important players in that system and Jimenez getting injured. Uh, the two wing-backs, of, as we've discussed, for different reasons. Diego Yotta, they're important players in in what Wolves have done. But I am surprised at how... And I think that's probably why they've gone back to basics a bit the last couple of weeks. Because to me, that Burnley game was the one where I just thought Wolves were an absolute mess defensively against Burnley, who, I mean, Burnley barely score a goal, do they, in, in any game. Um, and, and they looked like they were going to score three or four or five against Wolves. And, and it wasn't it wasn't Burnley opening them up with flowing football. Um, never is with Burnley. But <laughs> it, it was just it was just Wolves just looking like they weren't at the races, really, defensively. And, and that's the thing that surprised me. If someone said to me they're going to lose Jimenez, I'd have said, OK, they're probably not going to finish top eight because they'll struggle to replace his goals. But but I still thought they were going to be you know a top ten team just because they don't give much away and they're pretty solid and uh, and yeah it's been the defence more than anything else that sort of surprised me and I hadn't really sort of thought about it from the the perspective of the goalkeeper not having a great season but but now Rob said that and I sort of think about it that that that's true and again he's a hugely experienced goalkeeper so it's it's strange for him to have a dip. This is what happens when you were number eleven and you were goalkeeper. <laughs> um, Rob, just just one just one more point I want to mention on Wolves. You mentioned earlier, um, kind of like rumours of of discontent. C- could you tell us a bit more about that? Like what 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 the the scuttlebutt is? Is that discontent in the boardroom on the pitch? It, it's it's only rumours really of what I've seen on Twitter, and I, and I can't think they're reliable accounts really. Um, but I can imagine there are behind the scenes. Um, I, I think with transfer deadline, I, from what I gather, I think Nuno has wanted um, to strengthen as much as possible or look for a couple of loan deals. I know he's, you know, we've got um, Jose in, William Jose in from Real Sociedad. Um, I think it was, is it Nathan Miles from uh, from Arsenal? Now I, I know we were we were tracking him in the summer quite hard, and he's become available again. Mm. Um, and the last looking about an hour or two ago. Um, West Brom. Uh, yeah, he's, he's going to West Brom. Seems to be the and, um, seems to be the thing. And that for me is is a travesty, really. Um, so so I, I I wonder then. Uh, so you know, Arsenal is, is my team, and I, I wonder if the reason uh, I don't know what the plan was at Wolves, but uh, apparently he's picked um, West Brom over Southampton because he wants to play in the centre midfield. Um, and I. I I think when Wolves were in in the summer, they were looking at him to play in that wing-back system. For me, that's his best position. His best position is wing-back, but he doesn't agree. He thinks he's a central midfield player. Um, and, and apparently, uh, the reason that he's decided to go to West Brom over Southampton uh, is because he wants to play in the central midfield. Yeah, and I think looking at what, again, the Wolves' Twitter feed and what other, you know, the fans... And others who are quite vocal on on Twitter, you know, they were saying that they're hoping that Nuno um, or Wolves would make an approach at eleventh hour uh, for this gentleman because they felt okay he could solve another issue for us, which has been the centre of the midfield for us. Mm. Um, because I think that's another another big issue um, in the whole cog of Nuno's system. Um, I just don't at the moment. Matinho looks again shot of confidence. I wonder if his legs have caught up with him. Um, and Neves has obviously just uh, had a child, or sorry, his partner's had a child uh, the last couple of days. So again, I think his head's not been in the right space. Um, Dendonka, you know, he doesn't look like he should be on the pitch at the moment. We've lost uh, Cease or Sice out as well. Um, and I just thought if we could have got Nathan Miles in, I thought he could have been that guy in that centre mid we could give, give a go. Um, I know there's a youngster called uh, Ostoe, I think his name is. He's an American lad uh, who's come from an academy. He, again, looks a real good prospect. And I just thought Nuno might have given him a run out over the weekend against Palace or against Chelsea. He's played a few times this year, looked quite good. Wolves fans are raving about him, but doesn't fit into that system um, or doesn't fit into Nuno's plan at the moment. So, yeah. If you want to get a, a midfielder in, 
Um, Rob, well, not so much a midfielder as a, a, a walking yellow card. Um, Sky Sports are reporting that uh, Hamza Chowdhury is available for a loan from from Leicester. <laughs> should, for all your uh, fouling needs, he's going to Newcastle, isn't he, Dan? That's that's the rumour. Um, Leicester need to get one in, apparently. Um, okay. Rob, Rob, thank you very much for for, for the insight into Wolves. The um, like like myself and and but well, like like all all four of us. And I, I, I know you're, you're you're kind of struggling with not being able to to go to Molyneux. Um It certainly is a unwelcoming ground, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, and yeah, I, I imagine Wolves are are being badly affected um, by by the, the the lack of fans. Um, can I hope the um, can I hope the Wolves r- continues for at least one more game tomorrow night? <laughs> <laughs> I'd quite like to see Wolves bounce back after that because I've got a lot of time for them. But um, uh, I'd, yeah, t- t- tomorrow night I'd quite happily see the Wolves r- continue. Um, just something else I want to pick up. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Paul. F- many years ago, me and you, at the same time as our daily g- um, zonal marking arguments. Um, when we was at uni, you used to hate three at the back, and the reason you hated three at the back was because of the gap mm. between the full backs and the left or right sided centre half. Has has your opinion on on three at the back changed over the years, or are you still not a fan? So uh, it's still not necessarily the system I would play, but it has come back into into. Um... On into more common usage. I mean, yeah, for, if you think about the noughties, really, three at the back was basically a dead system, wasn't it? it you know, you think that it was big in the 90s and maybe into those first couple of years of the noughties. And then it had 10, 15 years where it disappeared and nobody really played three at the back. And then I think it was... Um, it, Brendan did it a little bit at Liverpool, didn't he, in that 3-4-3 system. Uh, and obviously Conte came in at Chelsea and... Uh, and went to that 3-4-3 system. And I think what was interesting about the way it was played in those two situations was much more of a 3-4-3 rather than the old 3-5-2. And, and so it was a slightly different configuration of, of three at the back and, and almost a bit of a 3-6-1 in a, in a lot of senses. And, and teams increasingly in modern football want to control the midfield and pack the midfield. Uh, it's still not my preferred system. I, um, without wishing to sound like Tony Adams, every time he was on the telly when Arsenal were playing three at the back, saying, "Oh, I'd still like him to be in a back four. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I do tend to agree that a back four is a system I, I would generally prefer. Um, but it, it does have that impact, the back three, of kind of simplifying the roles for the centre-backs a little bit. And it does make, you know the mental part of the game, it makes much easier for a centre-half. Now, where he exposes centre-halves is in the physical part of the game, particularly getting out into the wide spaces to cover full-backs. And I think one area where my thinking's changed a little bit, Dan, from um, you know 2002 or whenever it was, is modern, fullback, uh, modern centre-backs are much more mobile as a rule than the centre-backs that were playing in the Premier League in, in 2002, 2003. Um, and so I think you can get away with it a bit more now than you could then, but it's still not my favourite system. Centre-backs are more mobile now, apart from Reese Williams. Um, <laughs> if we kind of uh, move on to a, a less specific subject, um, like, we're about to have the treat of Ashley Williams being on Sky Sports News, no doubt wearing a, a yellow tie. Um, it's transfer deadline day. It just so happens that we did a, a podcast on deadline day in October, which is just, I still haven't got my head around saying. Um, d- this transfer window has been a bit of a, a damp squib as far as Sky Sports are concerned. I'm not surprised there's not been too many ins and outs. It's a, a COVID world. You're obviously getting your, your loans and your movers and your shakers lower down the league, but... I don't recall a, a January window where it's been as quiet. There's been some there's some activity today. You know, think things are moving. Um, Liverpool kind of started a, a bit of a, a domino effect, where I'm sure Paul is struggling to contain doing a jig down the street. Uh, um, Shokram Mustafi being moved along. Um, he move, his move to Schalke is facilitating uh, Ozan Kabak's move to Liverpool on loan. Which is a really good deal, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because we we were actually looking at him in the summer, 
Um, and we didn't agree a deal with Schalke because they wanted what we deemed to be too much money. So we walked away thinking, well, we've got we've got Virgil van Dijk who's never injured. We've got Joe Gomez and Joel Matip who between them can generally put six month runs of no injuries together. And of course, Fabinho was fourth choice. Um, as the season has transpired, that's that's not cut the mustard. Um, but with with Kabak now, the, this this deal is a, we get a chance to look at him for six months before we decide whether or not to sign him. So I, I think this is a really good deal. And, and the young lad, uh, well, he's not young, he's 25, but the, the lad from Preston, Ben Davis, don't know anything about him. Any Preston fans want to tell me if he's any good, please do let me know. But from what I've seen and things that have been pointed out to me, he looks like he plays like Ben White. But generally, um, is there a particular reason that the, the January window's gone by the by, or... Is it a COVID factor or basically has the window kind of expired its usefulness? I know that there's not really any good excuse to see Sam Allardyce's bulbous bonts on my TV every day for a month. Yeah, I don't think we expected a, a lot, did we? For probably for the reasons you've said, Dan. I mean, we 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 sort of talked about it when the when the when the window flung open or whatever the right uh, branded phrase is um i know you i know you're up on the terminology dan swing so open can get it right swings open, open. open. Um, and it's it swings open and it slams shot they, 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 <laughs> so yeah um so it's 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 swung open um and, and like you say nothing more than a, a draft has gone through it and it's gonna slam shots <laughs> presumably th- this evening um or whenever jim white spontaneously combusts at midnight um so but yeah i think it's like you said i think money's tight right uh, you know at all levels for for whatever you know i know obviously we've talked about the sort of wealth distribution and bloated budgets and whatever but ultimately clubs at all levels have to manage the money one way or another and they're all down on revenue because of you know not least because of obviously the stadiums um another reason so i don't think we expected loads like like we've said the january window has been dying a death really for, for 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 a few years now the last couple have been you know again pretty much non-events um and i think yeah the, we were never really going to see that much this year, particularly given obviously the last window was of open later as well, because all the timings have been a bit bit skewed. So it you know it, it only feels like a couple of months because it is only a couple of months since play you know since clubs were able to trade um, you know with each other. So for all those reasons, I think yeah, unless unless there's an absolute desperate need you know from from somewhere, no one was ever going to do anything uh, do anything too major in 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 this window. Um, I didn't even realise it was the, the deadline day till the start of this podcast, to be honest with you. Um, it shows how well-informed I am, but I've, I've not... You know, back in the day, you'd have, like... You know, you'd be glued to Sky Sports News all day on deadline day and all that, but it just... It doesn't feel the same anymore. It's just... It is just a bit of a non-event, I think. Day off with um, the anyway. crisps. Calm. <laughs> um, but anyway, I will I will hand over to Paul, who was also chomping at the bit to jump in, so go on. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I was... My afternoon cup of tea earlier and break from um, sitting at my work laptop coincided with Merce being on um, Sky Sports News. And something that he was saying that I think might be playing a part in why it's been so quiet this year is the teams that you usually see do a lot of business in January are the ones who are relegation threatened. You know, it's never been the biggest window for the clubs at the top. Occasionally you get a big January signing by a club at the top of the table. You know, we've had a few over the years, haven't we? You think, I suppose, you know, United bought Fernandez in the January window last year. Uh, you think back to the famous day when Liverpool, um, you know, signed Suarez and, and Andy Carroll and sold Torres. So it has happened, but it's a rarity. The majority of those big, big moves happen in the summer window. The thing that does tend to happen in in the January window is clubs at the bottom panic. Um, and Merce was saying he wonders if the results, especially over the last week or so, which have really left the gap between the bottom three and everyone else, Brighton having a fantastic win yesterday, Burnley have had a couple of great results in the last week or so, um, Newcastle had a fantastic win at Everton at the weekend. There's a gap now on whether the owners, not so much the managers, but the owners of those bottom three teams have just said, there's no point. There's no point us throwing £25 million at three signings here because the chances of staying up are slim. 
and so we'll keep that money in our pocket and we'll we'll try and bounce straight back. I I, I don't often say this, Dan, but I thought it was quite an astute um, uh, insight from Merson, and I think there's probably something in that. It makes a lot more sense than quite a few people, to be honest. <coughs> Tony Pulis. <coughs> You can apply the you know the stopped clock rule to to Mercer's punditry, <laughs> can't you? So yes, has, has to be right every decade, you know, once a decade. Well, when when it comes to some of the other pundits, uh, it sounds like stopped clock anyway. Um, Rob, Rob, what do, what do you think about the window? Is, is it kind of outlived its usefulness, or is it just boring now and it's just sky driving the hype? I think it was, uh, I agree with what the boys have said earlier. Um, the other thing I, I read an article again online. Um, it's, it's with the Brexit and how that possibly has had an effect mm. in this work permit rule, and I just wonder, clubs, some of the clubs, I think it was QPR, I think it was one of the clubs, they're not quite sure what what the regulations are, so they're not quite sure if they could sign somebody from overseas. What what what's the point scores system is? So I think there's a bit of uncertainty over that as well. Um, so it, I think that's a good re- Sorry. It's a really good point, Rob. I saw that. I, d- I didn't read the full article, but I saw the quote from Les Ferdinand, director of football at QPR, saying, I don't know what the rules are. Um, <laughs> and I did sort of think, I'm sure that's part of your job. Um, but I, I think there is, uh, you know, as well as the, the factors that we've talked about, of course, COVID's in there. Of course, Brexit's in there. Both of those things are affecting the, the economy in every conceivable way, it would be impossible to believe that football was going to escape scot-free. Um, and so, again, I think the slowness of movement has un- undoubtedly uh, been been affected by, by both of those factors. And, and the scourge of the loan system, I mean, that's almost a podcast on its own, Dan, but I, I've got problems with the, the sort of sheer scale of the loan system these days. The loan system used to be a system used for emergencies. And now it's almost like you only buy a player if it's an emergency. <laughs> Otherwise, you just try and loan him from somebody else. And yeah, it's maybe a subject we'll come back to at a, at a later date. I think but, we should. But a huge number of loans, again, that you see, not just in the Premier League, but, but right down the divisions. Uh, uh, it's very interesting that Les Ferdinand should say that he's not quite sure of the rules because the QPR also weren't quite sure of the FFP rules. So it seems to be, it seems to me that QPR are very good at not quite knowing the rules. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. <laughs> Harry Redknapp's going to going to rock it. What's um what's Nico Crankyio doing? I think I think Nico Crankyio might now be too old for Harry to sign him on deadline day. Although Harry hasn't got a club, so maybe he could sign Nico Cranky or as I don't know, bloke to come and clean his car outside his house or something. <laughs> Who knows? Do, do you know what? It's a running joke on, on this podcast, but um, Harry was on before because it transferred deadline day. There was obviously Khan's um, idea of a, a car window for him to lean through at all times was, was nowhere to be seen, unfortunately. But he was still banging the drum that Tottenham can finish in the top four, which they could... They could, but based on last night where I saw Brighton, doesn't look very likely to me. But he's back down from October window when he was predicting Tottenham to win the league. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, he's, he's re recalibrated his. Uh, <laughs> if we had another transfer window in March, maybe Harry would be saying, "Yeah, I still think Tottenham can stay up. I still think it." <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's part of the um, the deadline um, f- fun. Of the um, fun of the fur, do, do you think everyone's got everyone that they need, Paul? I see someone's surprise, shock, horror moving from Watford to Granada on loan. Yeah, I, I think I think like Colin said, I, I wasn't expecting big activity in in the window. I I think most of the clubs towards the top end, with the exception of Liverpool, and I, I even think that Dan, is, as we've talked about before, is is caused by just a really bizarre spate of injuries to um, central defenders. But I don't think we were expecting big things from the clubs at the top. Chelsea spent a fortune in the summer. Manchester City, since Pep's been there, have not really been players in the in the January transfer market. United are a much more settled unit than they've been the last couple of years when I think they have dabbled in January. Um, and Arsenal, while I, I know we've brought Martin Odegaard in um, and, you know, 
don't know a lot about him other than what he does on football manager games. Um, <laughs> Quite a uh, lot. You, you know, yeah, exactly. So, but um, let's hope he's half as good in real life. Uh, but, but mainly Arsenal's focus has been on getting people out of the door. Um, we know there isn't a huge deal of money knocking about at Tottenham. So again, I, I wasn't expecting them to be big players. I think we've pretty much got the window we expected, which is quiet. Has everyone got what they need? Well, you know, like I say, those three teams at the bottom need about nine new players, so so probably not. Uh, West Brom certainly need about nine new players. They're still throwing um, what they can at the wall and seeing what sticks, though. Yeah, well, I mean, there's only so many times you can you can keep sticking Branislav Ivanovic at the age of 47 out there and calling that a, calling that a good idea. So, um, you know, it's not a surprise we've tried to bring one or two in. I actually think Maitland-Niles going there is a decent signing for West Brom. I just think they're, they're too far gone. The next couple of games, you know, the Fulham game was a game they really probably needed to win. Um, and the next couple, again, I think are against teams down there. If they don't get a couple of wins very, very quickly, they're, they're done. So have they, has everyone got what they need? Uh, no, probably not. But has everyone got what I think they expected to get out of this window? I, th- I think probably so. Cam, why can't United score in big games? Because I, I, the, the game against Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal are difficult to break down. That's that's what Mikel Arteta has brought to them. Sometimes at the expense of, of them looking like a threat either. But the Arsenal had problems with, with forward players with injuries and, and whatnot over the weekend. I, I just thought, I think United have, have taken the... have not been brave enough in recent weeks, I'll just say that. What do you think? Yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting point that you know, you raised earlier, um, Paul, about this one. I mean, I, d- I didn't see um, huge amounts of the game, actually, unfortunately, over the weekend. Um, doesn't sound like I missed a massive great deal. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the game earlier in the season between United and Arsenal, I know Arsenal won with that penalty, but that wasn't a, a classic, I think it's fair to say, either. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we've drawn nil-nil now with, yeah, with, with Arsenal, Liverpool, Pool, obviously not so long ago, um, and Chelsea and Man City before Christmas, um, and you know throw in losses against, you know we got hammered by Spurs at home, we lost to City at home in the cup, so there is a bit of a trend there of the you know the the bigger the, the sort of traditional big six clubs um, was not doing well this season against them, um, and it, it it is a strange one to to get to the bottom of exactly because you know I've talked before on this about how. You know, I do think we're very much a confident side and, you know, we have seen an improvement uh, this season. It's, it's taken a bit of time, but the last couple of months, you know, November and December in particular, we, you know, we were excellent and, you know, finished, you know, got to midway point of the season, sort of top of the league, which if you'd said that in even in October, I would, you know, would have, would have laughed at you. Um, but then it just, we just seem to have now stuttered a bit with a, you know, a couple of tougher games um, or, or against, you know, the sort of traditional bigger teams coupled with like you know you mentioned Fernandez seems to have gone off the boil a bit whether he just needs a bit more of an elongated rest because he's practically played every game since he signed um so maybe that sort of almost 12 months of constant footballs perhaps you know taken a bit of a toll um could could be as simple as that um so it is yeah it is difficult to say um and, and whether yeah I don't know if if Solskjaer is saying anything different to them before these games um, I think given the way this season's gone, I don't think he needs to because it's been such a topsy-turvy season uh, with teams you think would do well having really bad runs and, and t- you know teams that were you know fighting relegation last season are, are up in the top half. This you know it, it, I don't know why you would need to sort of almost apply that traditional sort of respect to teams. If anything, this is the one season where you probably don't need to do that, and particularly when you've come off the back of a run where you have been playing well and um, you know the confidence should be should be higher. So it does. It does seem a bit strange that we seem to have regressed a little bit um, on on that front. Uh, whether it's also just the fact that you know we are still a developing side. You know, I think people were getting a, maybe a bit carried away, which always happens when a big club goes on a run. Um, you know, particularly on the size of, of of United and the the fact that you know how how they've been for the last few years. Um, you know, sort of relatively terms. You know, sort of starved of of the success that they had under Fergie. All of a sudden, you know, they're on this, you know, galloping run. Um, it, it does get people a bit excited, but equally, you only have to go back a couple of months when we were getting dumped out of the 
the Champions League and you know and some of those bad results I've mentioned before. So we are still we are still a work in progress, um, and maybe we're also just seeing that there are still some limitations, you know, to to this to this set of players, um, and perhaps it is just part of that, and that and that you know Solskjaer does need. You know, at least another another year to really mount a, a serious challenge. I don't know, um, or it, it could be a combination of all those things. But equally, I'm I'm really interested to hear a different perspective from your guys as well. And obviously, you know, Paul, we're playing your team at the weekend as well. So, interested to get uh, any thoughts you guys might have on it as well. Yeah, I I, I think so. I think that there's enough of a pattern there as as you've already reeled off con the games that they fail to score in, there's, there's enough of a pattern there for this to be a subject worth talking about. But at the same time, I do feel a little bit as though it's a little bit harsh a reflection on the, on the games at Arsenal and Liverpool, where I think, um, you know, neither of which were particularly great games of football, both of which I think it's probably fair to say on both sides were a little bit safe in the way that the, the, have three teams involved over the two games, United twice and then Liverpool and Arsenal. Probably a little bit safe on all sides in the way they approach those games, maybe approaching them almost as games they can't afford to lose rather than games they really need to win. But we talked about it after the the Liverpool draw. In the last 10 minutes of that game, the best chance of the the match came in the final 10 minutes to Paul Pogba and and you probably expect him to do better and he hits it straight at at Alisson. and I think on, on Saturday, while there wasn't much in the game and both teams had a couple of moments, probably the one clear or almost clear opening is, is the ball that flashes across the box in the, in the last four or five minutes. And Cavani from you know, four or five yards out, I know he's off balance and it's a first-time finish. It wasn't easy. But I think United are entitled to think a player of, of Cavani's experience and quality scores from there. And if, if those two chances go in, I think we're having a very different conversation because I think we're saying they are two terrific performances away from home from Manchester United, going to clean sheets to Arsenal and Liverpool and nicking goals in the last 10 minutes. They are the sorts of performances that win titles. Now, that's if some buts because it didn't happen and, and they, they drew both games. But I think maybe the, the criticism has gone over the top slightly because of this pattern that started earlier in the season, particularly those Chelsea and Manchester City home games, which again were just terrible to watch. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the Man City, the Manchester Derby is the worst game of football I've seen in 10 years. I mean, it was absolutely <laughs> atrocious um, on both sides. And that, that was almost the point where Manchester City thought to themselves, come on, we need to wake up a bit here because this is, this is not on. Um, and they have. So, and they have. So I, I think there's a bit of that. I think Dan's already alluded to the fact that the media coverage, Roy Keane talking about we should be coming here in Arsenal without their three best players and you should be coming here and creating chances. And only one team's conceded fewer goals in the Premier League than Arsenal this season, which is Manchester City. And Arsenal have played 21 when a lot have played 19 and 20. Um, I know it's hard for the media to get their head around this after it being the opposite for about 10 years. But Arsenal are better at the back than they are going forward this season. There's absolutely no question about it. And I think there's a little bit of a people haven't quite adjusted their mindset to that. If you're expecting your team to go to Arsenal and create five and six clear chances at the moment, it it isn't going to happen. So United created a couple. They certainly created the one sort of clear chance, as I've said, that you'd you'd say in the game, weren't able to take it. it wasn't a great match. Is there an argument for saying United should have been positive? But equally, when Scott McTominay went off with his, in inverted commas, stomach cramps, I think we all know, I think we all know what that really means. Um, it, you know, they, they made an offensive change. They didn't bring Matic on. They brought Marshall on and they played Pogba as one of the two in the middle of midfield. So I, I think they, maybe the criticism's gone a bit over the top, but I understand it because of the sort of pattern that was set earlier in the season. Yeah, I, for me, I think it's the, it's the mentality. Um, and I think partly is the, partly the blame is the media. I think, you know, the media have dug into these players and I think some of the players have either they've possibly um, let the media affect them too much. I just think they've gone into their shell a little bit, United have, personally, from what I've seen. Um, and when the opportunities, normally the opportunities are taken earlier in the season when, they've, when they were scoring goals or in their past they've just had recently, they were scoring goals for fun or looking to score goals for fun. 
now they look devoid of confidence. Um, so I just wonder, has pressure from the media um, sort of got to some of those players? I, I don't know. I just that's what I see from from an outsider's view. I, I think there's something yeah, in I that think, about I think... Rob. Yeah. I think it's that that point that United crept up the league almost unnoticed in in the sort of November and the first half of December, and then they hit the top of the league, and everyone was starting to talk about Manchester United again, and and that is a different kind of pressure to kind of get used to. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Paul, and you know I said earlier as well around that I do think that we are still a bit of a sort of mentally fragile team, and I think our our confidence can go up and down, you know, really, really quickly um, in that group of players. And it is the first time a lot of them will be sort of in that sort of top of the league spotlight and, you know, and the expectation that comes with it. So, and equally, you know, same for, for Solskjaer in a way, really, you know, so he's got to figure out how he sort of deals with it and, and almost conveys that sort of calm to the, to the team so they don't get sort of too caught up in it and so that they can all stay focused. So it's, it's a job you know, as much for the manager as it is, uh, as it is the players to be able to deal with this as well. He will of course be used to dealing with it as a player, but it's, it's, you know, it's different, um, you know, when you're, when you're the bloke in charge. He might find things go his way a little bit more when he uh, has the bravery to park in Alex Ferguson's old car parking space. (laughs) Uh, But maybe that's just me being cynical. Um, other thing I wanted to talk about today, like we went, we went. Well, I can't talk. We went to mention this last week. Can um, Ronaldo scoring his um, forty million billionth, swillionth, zillionth goal? Um, and I just wanted to to mention him and, and Messi at the same time. Uh, Messi's in the news uh, this weekend due to uh, his contract being suspiciously released. It's almost as though there's people at Barcelona who don't want him at the club anymore. Um, now, when President Leo's not playing politics, or a footballer. Uh, but I, I just wanted to, to kind of say, really, how, how lucky we are to have had these two players around at the same time and um, been able to watch most of their career. Uh, La Liga is quite an ex- oh, it was quite an accessible league and easy to watch. And I've spent many a, a Saturday afternoon with nothing to do watching uh, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo tearing their leagues up? Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously you know, these plays have been been talked about so much over the last sort of 10, 15 years. There isn't a lot that we need we need to add to it, really. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it seemed fitting that, you know, like I said, Ronaldo was in the headlines last week with his, uh, you know, the goal he scored in the Cop um, with Juventus was the, the 760th um, was was the uh, was was the number, um, and you know the the sort of the headline was that you know that was like sort of officially like the most you know competitive goals that a player scored. It's since been disputed um, that the, apparently the Czech FA uh, are off up in arms. There's a um, a player called Joseph Biscan or Bican, um, not Igor Biscan. No, it could be a, it could be a, a cousin uh, or you know a great uncle. Um, cause I think he was, he was playing a few, a few years ago in the, in the sort of, uh, yeah, in the, between the thirties and the fifties, but the problem, and then there's also Romario and Pele who both have a claim to, uh, sort of numbers in, in the seven hundreds and, and actually depending on who you listen to that, you know, they apparently go into the thousands, but I think you're literally including sort of kickabouts in the park and the back garden. <laughs> yeah. To be honest with you, it, it gets a bit daft. Pele includes his goals on the beach. I mean, he, he really, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think he includes kicking in the womb as, uh, as yeah, does get a bit daft. But I think you know, regardless of who you want, you know, seven hundred and sixty you know, competitive goals is, and and of course the fact that they're more, it's in a more modern era when you know everything is is catalogued properly as well. It's obviously a a more sort of uh, I can say trustworthy number. It it is a phenomenal um, number really for it, it, it when you when you really think about it. Um, to score that many um, competitive goals for, for, you know, and not just for anyone, you know, for some of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, and at international level, um, it is quite crazy, really. And, and like you say, Dan, we, we are quite lucky that we've been at a, a, an age where we've been able to really see them sort of burst on the scene and then then climb to the pinnacle of the sport, remain there and are now in their sort of various stages of, um, you know, sort of decline, if you like. Obviously, Ronaldo was quite canny, moving to Juventus, I think he knew that, that that era at Madrid was ending and also that Juventus far and away the best team in Italy. 
So it's a great way for him to still sort of look good by being there um, and help him to improve his personal stats, which he makes no bones about, are very important to him. Um, Messi, you know, we're now seeing a bit of a crossroads. You know, he's he's stuck around. Um, the team around him at Barca haven't been rebuilt, hasn't been rebuilt. All the signings they've tried to bring in have, have flopped. He's obviously now got older, so his own effectiveness isn't where it was. And now, of course, the inevitable acrimony that comes from these things. You know, we had these transfer requests last year, and our details are being linked about his, his, his financial details. And, of course, he's been in hot water on this before with, you know, his tax uh, arrangements. I'll, I'll put it like that. Um, so, you know, he's now, you know, it looks like he's on his way out. Um, what will he do? Uh, it'd be nice to see him actually just sort of in a way almost retire as a one club player. It, I always think it's a bit of a shame when players like, you know, when like Raul moved from Madrid, it just seemed weird seeing him play football. Was it like Schalke or something? And it just, you know, it's just a bit odd when you see these kind of one club players do like a season somewhere else. I always think just, you know, keep yourself as a one club player if you've been there that long. But equally, I'm sure he figures he's probably still got something to give. And given his Lionel Messi, he probably has um, somewhere or another. And like I say, I do want to see him on a wet Tuesday night in Stoke. So we do need <laughs> We do need that to happen one way or another. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure the Coates family could afford him, to be fair. They're rolling in it, so um, it might happen. But uh, I, uh, I felt very much the same, Con, when I had to see Martin Keown play a season at Reading. <laughs> that didn't feel right. I, I feel yeah, the same they, way every time I hear Martin Keown be a pundit on BT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He should have been retired from any football-related job, I think, uh, just to be on the safe side. But uh, anyway, we, we do need to have that punditry podcast, by the way. We keep we keep Absolutely, yeah. Got words to say about Martin Keown, but anyway. Um, so yeah, that was it. Really, just a bit of a bit of a passing comment on on them both for sort of slightly different reasons, but it just sort of felt uh, felt right to acknowledge. You know, they're the both incredibly amazing players. Um, you know, we're lucky, like I say, we've got to see them and we'll still see them hopefully for, for a bit longer. And we can all speculate whether we'll see Lionel Messi in the Premier League next year, reunited with Guardiola. Who knows? Possibly joining the, the regained champions even. Um, you never know. And you know, I was just taking myself off mute, Dan. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Corn's already said most of most of what there is to be said about, about Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. I think it is it is a shame the way it's going to end uh, at Barcelona for Messi. I feel like there was a much healthier way for them to part last summer. And I think Barcelona didn't handle that situation particularly well, nor did Messi. It's fair to say that Messi has, as you alluded to at the start, Dan, played the politics in recent years at, at Barcelona, um, right through from managerial appointments to signings to sometimes who he passes the ball to. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, he's been an incredible player. I think there was a way for this to happen in a more respectful manner last summer, if everybody had just kind of got over themselves a bit and been a bit more adult about it, as it is, I think we are heading for a sort of acrimonious split this summer. I do think Messi will carry on playing. I do think he'll go somewhere else. The question is, does he go to another, what we might term, proper league? Or does he go and play in the States or in the Far East or in Dubai or, you know, somewhere like that? I don't know. Um, but, yeah... It, both of them incredible, incredible football players. Um, and, you know, I, I think my answer to this is, are you a Messi man or a Ronaldo man has always been, uh, well, why not both? I mean, they've just been incredible. Uh, the, the comparisons will, will never go away. They'll be talking in 20 years' time about whether it was Ronaldo or Messi. Um, but, but yeah, just, just phenomenal, talented footballers. I think Cristiano actually looks like he's close to the end to me. I, if he does another season, I think that might be a last one. Um, again, other, otherwise he could go to the States and play for another five or six years if he wanted to. Uh, Beckham's lot are probably looking for a couple of players in Miami. I'm sure that wouldn't be a bad lifestyle if he found it. Uh, yeah, I agree with Paul's I really. I think, for me, Messi's reign at, or at Barcelona is going to be tainted by this last, or what's going on now. Mm. I think that's what his legacy will ever be remembered or partly remembered, I shouldn't say forever remembered, but partly remembered, if it does go down a split and it gets messy, no pun intended, <laughs> then I think that's going to, you know, his legacy is going to be tainted for it. You know, he's a fantastic player, you know, great player to watch. Same for Ronaldo, you know, he's been fantastic to watch. And I agree, you know, his move to Juventus to prolong his career, 
into a side that really walks that league as much uh, as possible. You know, it. You know, his reputation as well. You know, he'll go down as a. You know, again like Messi, as two fantastic players, and you know, be lucky to have in this period of my lifetime privilege to watch those two battle it out. Really, to see who is the greatest. Or yeah, I think I can give you a very easy answer as to why not both, Paul. But um, I think you, I think you might know the answer to that. All, all three of you. Go on. What's the answer, Dan? Well, it's the fact that we used to play for Man United. <laughs> <laughs> the, the problem is, Dan, I can think of reasons why you would dislike both of them quite easily because. <laughs> well, um, I can't imagine you're a big fan of, you know, Barcelona either. Well, actually, um, actually, can and this is going to make me sound pathetic, but I was uh, ten at the time. I actually really liked Barcelona, and the reason I really liked Barcelona is because I'd started to get into football and I, I, I started to like come to like the decision I wanted to support Liverpool. And I, I got a lot of stick for it in school. Between Liverpool and Manchester, you get quite a lot of United fans in school. And I, I was getting stick for it. And there was a game at the new Camp and Romario played and Barcelona absolutely hammered Manchester United. I think it might have been... Um, Maybe the first season in the Champions League. It was the window. I, I remember the game, Dan. It yeah. was it was in the old three foreigners rule, and yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Fergie made a decision that I think he'd rather nobody talked about again. Where he didn't choose Schmeichel to be one of his three foreigners away in the new Camp, and I think Gary Walsh, but it might have been Kevin Pilkington. It was one of those two played in goal. If it's the game I'm thinking of, yeah, I, I, I can't I can't verify that. It, it sounds right. Um, I basically loved Barcelona for that um, because it gave me an opportunity to, to spout off in school. Um, so actually, I've always quite liked Barcelona. Um, and as as I've kind of grown up as a football fan, uh, watching or wanting to watch high-class football, Barcelona have been at the peak of the powers for much of the last 20 years. Um, it's strange, Dan, because none of us can imagine you wanting to spout off in school. <laughs> well, the, the, the rule is... Um, do unto others as they do to you. I, I'm, I, I never throw the first punch when it comes to football, and I mean, and I mean that as well. I never throw the first punch when it comes to football because I can't take it, so I don't give it. Um, however, things were a bit different when I was ten. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. For that reason, I've always been a big Barcelona fan, and I, I, I kind of, I feel like I witnessed the, the end of an era in, in the flesh. Um, I, I didn't get to the, the Champions League final in Madrid a couple of years ago, but I was at the semi-final against Barcelona, and I, I, I watched Barcelona wilts that night, and they've never been the same since. Um, that 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 night changed that football club, and they kind of backed it up last year, didn't they? With the, uh, the... I, I think I think it was over a couple of years because I think it I, it was the year before. When, if you remember, they had a comfortable lead. Was it against Napoli? I think it was definitely an Italian club. It was Roma. Roma, that's right. They took a comfortable lead from the first leg against Roma and blew it. And then they followed that up by taking a comfortable lead against Liverpool in the in the semi-final, as you say, Dan, and, and blowing it. Um, and I just think that those two sort of collapses um, in, in consecutive seasons, they did represent the end of an era. Um, again, I think if wiser heads had prevailed, that there might have been a way where there could have been a parting then, after that that season. Um, and and yeah, we'd all like to have seen it end uh, with Messi at Barcelona in a bit more of a dignified way. But it is what it is. And you know, when you when you get to the top, even great players like like Messi, and you know, there is a lot of ego and a lot of pride and a lot of stubbornness that gets involved. And uh, this is this is the outcome. Yeah, just 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 to add, I've I've done a bit of uh, done a bit of research just to validate this, and it was 1994 group stage, Barca four, United nil. Um, Gary Walsh in goal. It was Gary Walsh. So Michael didn't so. make the bench. It was it was Kevin Pilkington. Yeah, yeah. You, well, well, it was three foreigners. You couldn't even have an extra one on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks like, and, and did that? That must have included Irish players, right? Yeah, yeah, it did. So, yeah. So he, he started Irwin, Keane, and Kanchelskis were the yeah. three foreigners. And if you look at that United side, they does then look a bit workmanlike because you've got <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, Bot, Pallister, Ince, Keane. 
Um, it sort of tells you <laughs> what that side was about. And, 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 but the other reason why we might have lost is that the Barcelona uh, goal scorers were one Haristo Stoichkov and Romario, who were not unhandy players in that generation. <laughs> so, so, each, you know, they, was it two weeks? No, I think their foreigners that night were, were Stoichkov, Romario, and then I think Laudrup might have been the third one. So, uh, as much as I've got you know lots of respect for Andre Konchalskis and Dennis Irwin, uh, they don't. <laughs> They didn't really belong in that same conversation. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, Laudrup didn't play. Actually, I'm trying to think now who the Pep Guardiola played in that in that side though. Um, but I know I can't quite figure out who the who their uh, third would have been actually. Not Hashi. Um, it has she gone by then? Oh no, it was um, it was it was Jordi Cruyff. Oh God, uh, little Jordi! He, start, he, start, he started up front and played number nine. Good grief, he got subbed. <laughs> <laughs> that's a surprise may, may not be a shock uh, and, so yeah. so yes there you go so just a bit a bit of fact checking there I thought we'd uh, do a bit of research well, I, I'm glad I'd remember the goalkeeper thing right one, yeah, 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 one of my biggest nightmares like, 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 like nightmares that I was living at one point is during the um, 2001 UEFA Cup final when um, Jordi Cruyff former Manchester United player equalised in like the 94th minute to take the game to extra time, I was like, oh no, I'm going to get so much stick in college tomorrow. Alaveth. Yeah. Um, never never forget that game when um, a dessert managed to win the uh, UEFA Cup for Liverpool. Jelly <laughs> with the uh, own goal, golden goal. That was that was a wheeze, wasn't it? The golden goal. Yeah, that's another one that's been and gone. We don't, we don't always talk such rubbish, Rob. We're, 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 we're reminiscing here. Uh, and I'm always. No, I'm just, to... I'm just sitting back listening to you boys. It's quite nice listening to, to those tales. Being a Wolves fan, you know our European glories were, you know, 70s and the 60s and the 50s, really. So yeah, it's quite nice listening to you boys uh, talk on about it. Yeah. And whilst I'm always happy to reminisce about Manchester United getting thrashed in Europe, um, certainly Wolves have done done quite well in the, the the Europa League over the last couple of seasons. I I, I completely missed the fact that they weren't playing and I, I thought they was in the Europa League again this season it took me until no word of a lie just before the game at Anfield at the start of December which I managed to get to fortunately to realise that they weren't in the Europa League I thought it was in the Europa League again well normally everyone's in the Europa League <laughs> and that's the, the safe place to start from yeah, but... everyone plays a million games to get out the group for the Thursday night cup uh, yeah, it's well. Let's not go down that rabbit hole because I'll get stuck down there. Well, are we, we going to get? And um, UEFA want to bring another competition, but are we getting this, the the uh, Intertoto back? Or the, <laughs> I the, hope not. The, the silly auto, as my friend calls it, probably with justification. When you start playing games before the last season's ended, um, <laughs> any anything else that anyone else wants to talk about? I was going to mention to you, Paul, that it's been a bit of a a good. But bad day for crew. Good, the academy's turning the profits for the club again. Bad, losing players when crew are having a pretty decent season. Yeah, we've already so uh, Perry and went to uh, uh, Cardiff earlier in the um, in the window, and and our defending has already sort of taken a bit of a hit. We we got beat badly at Gillingham last week. Um, Harry Pickering's another defender has gone to Blackburn today. Albeit they're going to loan him back to us for the rest of the season. Uh, and then um, uh, it looks like Charlie Kirk, although it seems as though Crew may be holding out for a bit more money. I, I certainly hope so. I thought he was out of contract this summer, um, but it appears he might have one more year. Um, and uh, Charlton have bid half a million today. Um, and it looks as though at the moment Crew are trying to hold out for a bit more money. Um, but again, half a million pounds, a lot of money in those lower leagues, especially with COVID and no fans and everything else we know about. So it wouldn't surprise me if he moves on, which is sad because I think it puts an end, those three losses put an end to any outside chance we've got of a playoff place. Um, but look, the, this season was going to be a success for Crew if we if we weren't in any sort of relegation danger, and I don't think we're going to be. So there's, um, there's some, some positives. The other AOB I got down was just to... Um, and Khan kind of gave us a way into it uh, in his comments about that, that Man United game. Is uh, Steve Bruce has been under a huge amount of um, flack at Newcastle, and I think we're generally quite sympathetic to Steve Bruce on this podcast. Um, and uh, I thought Newcastle were outstanding on Saturday uh, lunchtime at, at, at Everton. 
thoroughly deserved to win the game. Uh, didn't flatter them whatsoever. Uh, a friend of mine who's a Newcastle fan said it's the best they've played since they won at West Ham on the opening weekend. So um, it was an important win. They needed it. But but pleased for Steve Bruce because I, I do think it's almost a thankless task, the Newcastle job. Until that club gets bought out and there's new ownership and new direction and a new sense of ambition, your job, should you choose to accept it, and it was the same for Rafa, is keep the team up. And in order to do that with the budget you've got, you kind of can't go out there and try and win every game 4-3 because you'll, you'll lose more than you'll win. So so the both Benitez and, and Bruce are sort of reduced to playing this kind of negative containment football. But that's just how Rafa is, Well, I know, I know. And it's probably how Steve Bruce is as well, naturally. And, and that's why they're kind of good fits if that's what your job is. If, if you're the Newcastle owner and that's what you want, then they're good people to appoint. But, um, you know, it's... it's it's bad for Newcastle fans. And I, I know Newcastle fans don't like it when I say I think Steve Bruce gets too much flack, but I do think he gets too much flack. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm pretty confident Newcastle will stay up and I certainly hope they do. I think the bottom three are gone after the weekend results. I think Brighton getting that win yesterday, is a, it really cuts them all adrift now. I mean, it's maybe not a topic for this week, given we've run out of time, Dan, but, uh, you know, how many more defeats is Jose Mourinho away from being under pressure? Again, looking at Spurs fans' Twitter, they've gone from uh, Sir Jose at the at the start of December to sack Jose at the start of February. So um, it might be one we come back to. Possibly. Right, well, with, uh, we've reached the end of, uh, of another week. I think you've um, come up with half of an agenda for next week, Paul, inadvertently. <laughs> um, some some good, good things. And yeah, we, we like a bit of a, a reminisce on this podcast. Um, we quite often go down, down rabbit holes, as has just been said. Um, so I'd like to remind you all that you can catch the Big Football Podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, um, and on Amazon Music if you want to to ask Alexa to play my dulcet tones, and she will. Um, quite why she'd want to, I don't know, but if you ask her to, she will all the same. Uh, Rob, thank you very much for, for being our guest. We really appreciate your time, and thank you for the, the insight to, to Wolves. Hopefully your season picks up and you get to, to enjoy your football again. Cause, and I, I've, I say this most weeks, but it applies for all four of us. We all miss going to the game, and, and I know that's something that, that, that you do miss, Rob. Yeah, no, thank you, Jochen Valrian, um, for for having me on. Uh, um, means a means a lot, Dan, and it's nice to meet you all. And uh, yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, Nuno in Nuno we trust, and we can turn things around. Thank you very much, Rob, and we'll catch up with you all again after a while. <laughs>